Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode nine, and this week our guest is B. Dolan. My name is Scroobius Pip. How are y'all doing? Um, thank you very much for downloading. Uh, I also need to say a quick thank you for the reaction to episode eight last week with Jody Ann Bickley. Um, I think that's the most tweets I've seen, and people were just sharing and pushing it out there. So thank you very much for that. If you did listen and enjoy, please do share, because word of mouth, I think, for podcasts in particular, is the best thing. I think at this time of year in particular, we're having adverts and stuff thrust down our throats unwillingly. So um, it's easy to ignore anything like that. Whereas word of mouth from friends telling you what is good um, is great. And on that note, let's thrust some adverts unwillingly down your throat. The first one, um, we are sponsored today by Speech Development Records. That is my record label. Um, We've got a sale on at the moment. Um, If you wish to get 10% off, enter the code S. SDR10, um, and you'll get 10% off. We've got varsity jumpers, varsity jackets, we've got woolly hats, we've got DVDs, we've got my spoken word DVD, Made in a Fringe show. Check that out, that's for, on DVD or download. Um, yeah, we've got loads of stuff. We've got uh, mugs, we've got mugs for God's sake, we've got actual mugs, that is ridiculous. And you can now, for the first time, go and buy all of this from speechdevelopmentrecords.com. I finally spent some money on some domain names. So speechdevelopmentrecords.com, go and buy that SDR10 for 10% off. Um, we're also sponsored by Onit, who are a human optimization website. Um, they sell a lot of exercise stuff, some really cool kettlebells um, and some stuff like that. But, I mean, a lot of my listeners I know are UK. If you're in America, go for the kettlebells and for the kettlebell workouts and the battle ropes. They look amazing. But the shipping might be a bit much to bring them to the UK. But the shipping to the UK for the um, supplements is just splendid. Um, and, you know, if you're struggling with that, you can also get 10% off by ordering from onit.com slash pip. That's O-N-N-I-T dot com slash S-C-R-O-O-B-I-U-S-P-I-P. Um, they sell fitness stuff. I like the Shroom Tech and the Hemp Force uh, protein. They also sell um, stuff for your brain. I like Alpha Brain. I've, I've used that numerous times. I've mentioned it a few times on here before. In fact, I mention it every damn week so you know what the drill is. Check them out. If you buy from there, you're also supporting the podcast, so that's cool. If you buy through that portal, so onit.com slash pip. So check that out and let me know what you think. Um, another thing, you can also, for the first time, when you are recommending this podcast to people, you can say, go and download it from Distraction Pieces Podcast because I've also gone and upped my game and got that as well now. So I'm, you know, as we've hit number one in the UK podcast chart, we've drifted around the top 20 for most of our time out here. I finally started to fake professionalism. Um, and speaking of fake professionalism, our guest today is one of my favourite fake professionals, Mr B. Dolan. Of course he's not a fake professional, he's a wonderful and amazing artist. He um, headlined the Speech Development Records tour recently, so a lot of you will know of him from there and have seen him. He's also, I mean, he's hugely relevant at the moment, uh, basically, kind of sadly, but um, he wrote a song called F- Film the Police, uh, which is a rewrite of NWA's Fuck the Police, um, and it's about using your cameras to film police injustice. Um, it seems hugely relevant at the moment with everything that's going on in America, case after case, and despite the fact that the fact, um, you know, there is good, clear footage of horrible things happening and people aren't being charged. 
I think it's still important. The whole film, the police thing is still hugely important because we know about these cases now and people in their hundreds of thousands are taken to the street to protest these injustices i think it's probably quite ignorant to think all of this stuff has started happening like a strange amount of cases in the last year or two that's not the case there's a strange amount of cases that have come to light through the fact that we've got cameras on our phones now anyway i'm going into far too much detail here um you will enjoy the podcast it's not all about that he also talks about um a, a life as an indie rapper um sustaining yourself and your family when you're not a massive pop star but your your sole job is 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 is, is doing what you love and, and, and working in the music industry so that's great we talk about a lot of subjects he tells some stories of the road um all sorts of stuff you're going to enjoy it check this out um i'll be back at the end with details of next week's podcast which has actually changed there's been a kind of a re jiggling due to some events in the press recently and um, but i will explain that at the end so until then enjoy distraction pieces podcast number nine with mr b dolan this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction Word. Do you hold the mic close to your mouth like this? I hold the mic close to my mouth, yeah. I like it to touch my moustache. Oh, all right. And we're rolling. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast with B. Dolan. How you doing? Yeah. So, do we, would you like to tell the people where we are? Where are weird we? This is? We're on a ferry. We're on a ferry on the way back from Ireland. We're on a boat, baby. Like rappers. Surrounded by people, but... Yep. That's Families. It's going to be their problem. Mates. Hanging out, having drinks, watching the game. They're watching Old people some, uh, looking at me funny. They're watching r- race cars on the TV. Yeah, I think there's a soccer game on over here. Maybe. Um, so yeah, that was a good <laughs> podcast. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, good night, folks. Thank um, you. I'm not even going to talk about the tour yet. We're on our way back from some shows in Ireland, which have been nice. Um, but let's just start with you. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I got a little <laughs> a bit, bit of sniffly. A, yeah, I got a little bit of a sinus infection, but uh, I'm feeling good about that because there's no more shows to do. Tore my voice to ribbons last night. Yeah, but, but it held up. It held up. I got a sinus infection like two days before the tour ended. So that's if you're going to get a sinus infection, it's a good time, time to, to get, get it. it. Yeah, um, it's rare for you to have some 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 time off now. Um, you're known for touring quite hard. I do how tour. Do you, how do you find that? Well, I'm a cowboy. On a steel horse I ride, and I'm wanted, dead or alive. Yeah, that is a fact. Yeah. That, is, that is a known yeah. fact. But uh, it's an important part of what we do to tour in this way. Sage Francis brought me out on the road in 2005. I worked merch for him, and he he kind of showed me that you can... This is how this is how underground artists can make a living at yeah. this. You know, I uh, saw how he was doing it and understood. And since yeah. then, I've been going hard. Do you think that's a key then? Because I think a lot of people just, or as you mentioned in, in some of your uh, lyrics, a lot of people f- focus on one thing rather than everything. They focus on on having a YouTube hit or 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 yeah or or tw- Twitter followers, and it's kind of that doesn't particularly lend itself. 
Yeah, and the, this is like a different hustle than that. I think I actually had a weird little speaking engagement yesterday in Galway, and I was yeah. talking to a bunch of college students who want to work in the music industry, and I was talking to them and, and just being like, you know, I, I don't know how the pop stardom thing works. I don't like we never went that path. We ne- I never probably had access to that path because yeah. I'm too ugly, I'm too fat, and I'm I mean, skinny, that. And, and my music is dark and angry and aggressive and uh but uh you know that that we just go a different way so and we're not relying on the same things the thing is you know to make rihanna look like rihanna millions have to be spent like big money has to be pumped into videos into tour buses into stage shows into all that um and that you know when the backers take that money away which they can do and they do and they replace you with the next pop star um you know, you don't get to be Rihanna anymore, or, yeah. or whatever. You know, but I think our- that is key. I mean, we were discussing that um, a, a, or along those lines yesterday. That um, it's key. I mean, I guess it's for our kind of music, but I kind of think in any business to to be able to adjust. So your ideal situation is your stadium show where you've got your your lighting guy, your sound guy, everything yeah. else. But you need to be able to do that. Hundred pound a night support slot and yeah. still put on a show and turn it out, yeah, and not and not be getting a hugely in debt over it. Hopefully, f- through merch, through working it, you're actually making a profit out of it. Yeah, yeah. And limitations create uh, an environment for creativity too. Like I, some of the coolest stuff we do, some of the most exciting parts of our show never would have come about if we could afford a light guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like uh, this thing I've been doing with people on this tour during film the police, where I've been just having them take out their camera phones and turn on the flashlight, and have the have the lighting engineer in the house turn the lights off, and and we light up the place with our cell phones. Like that, you know, it's a good it's a good visual demonstration of what the song's about. Yeah. Um, but it's born of the necessity of me. Like I can't, you know, I just got like a bored sound engineer looking back, you know, it's just yeah. like not paying attention. And I'm at, you know, um, you, I'm asking him to do stuff. You kind of, do you make sure you're hyper aware then that to, to keep those interesting and, and idiosyncrasies like this tour, for example, is the first time you've added a full live band. Yeah. So it would be easy to just rely on the fact you've got a band and lose some of the bits where you had to to make it more interesting because you previously had a CD backing track or whatever yeah, and you yeah. needed to go out there and and, yeah. and, and, and blow the crowd away. So yeah. And that's the stuff you can't fake. That's the stuff that you know you can't manufacture and you can't take a shortcut to get there. Um, and it shows the roots is always an, an example I think of. Like the roots when I first heard them on on record, I somehow knew like these guys have have rocked a, a crowd. These guys have busked. You know, they've yeah. played on a street where people don't even want to look at them. You know, yeah, like yeah. there's you pick up skills and and stuff there that you can't you can't fake. You can't. Yeah. You know. The bad gigs and the tough gigs are more important than the ones where anything you say is going down a treat and it's kind of a, yeah. an easy ride, right? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm gonna completely scattergun around in this interview it's not going to be it. a linear narrative but you mentioned film the police there let's talk about that you you talked about it on on uh, on, on russell brand's trues recently and yeah. you did that in 2011 was it 2012 so. yeah yeah 2012 was probably when it came out yeah and let's, let's talk about it what <laughs> yeah. is uh, what is film the police and just tell us how it kind of it came about as an idea and then how it 
as I mean, essentially as a hashtag exploded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, man. It, you know, people use the hashtag that don't even know, have never heard the song. Yeah. And I'm, you know, that's that's the best possible outcome. Um, yeah, Oscar Grant um, was an unarmed man who was uh, pinned down and uh, in a, in a uh, subway station in Oakland. And I believe that happened in 2010. Uh, an unarmed man was pinned down by cops and they had him totally subdued. And uh, there was a train pulled up to the platform and the doors were open and people were watching this happen and a lot of people took out their cell phones and filmed it. And as they were filming it, one of the BART cops that had him pinned down pulled out what he, the cop said he thought he pulled out his taser but what he did was he pulled out his gun and he shot him in the back as he was down on the platform um, with his hands behind his back totally restrained um, so it was you know all these people just witnessed an execution and uh, and it became this incredible flashpoint people protested people were furious later on even during the Occupy protests the uh, uh, the park they were in they renamed it Oscar Grant Park so uh, you know Oscar Grant just became this name and this story yeah. that people knew and it all kind of happened because of those videotapes that uh, 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 not videotapes those camera phone recordings um, and I was talking to an activist friend uh, in Boston who worked with Cop Watch and uh, which is an organization that trains people to film cops in their neighborhood yeah and uh, especially in neighborhoods where uh, there's a lot of low income housing cops are known to act up and take advantage of the fact that no one kind of cares what, what goes on in that neighborhood or uh, it's very like politically convenient to say like yeah we're being tough on crime so tough on crime how that translates is people being terrorized in their own community yeah. Yeah. Um, so cop watch these motherfuckers so, <laughs> so cop watch trains people to um to, to you know set up a video camera in your window in that neighborhood and yeah. let the cops know that whenever they're in this neighborhood they're going to be filmed uh, yeah. as a method of curbing police violence we were talking about that we were talking about Oscar Grant and she happened to mention uh, you know you should remake Fuck the Police and call it Film the Police and it was a, sort of like a, just a passing suggestion and kind yeah. of a funny comment and I took it literally and we made the song and as it came out the Occupy stuff was jumping off and there was all this footage of white kids in the news getting beat up and Iraq war veterans getting beat up and you know, people were seeing at that time just a lot of footage of cops wiling out yeah. on peaceful protesters. And we took that footage, cut it up into the video and just released it. And it kind of went crazy. Mike, yeah. you know, M Michael Moore and a couple other people picked it up. Billy Bragg picked it up. Um, and, it, you know, and yeah. And as time has gone by now, it's it it's strange because it gets like up this the stuff that's going on in Ferguson. Um there's an announcement on the ferry. Just enjoy that. Let's break for an announcement. But um, let's get back to that. Let's let's cut back into reality and seriously. It, it was kind of a weird. It felt like a, Eure a weird a eureka moment in that technology had developed um, often in the ways of just for financial gain and commercial gain, and had suddenly armed people with a really good tool against the powers that that that, that be or whatever. And as you said, it's kind of. That song, when Trayvon Martin stuff happened, and when yeah, yeah. you know, and when and now with everything going on in Ferguson, it feels like a really relevant and important kind of a movement. Yeah, and it's funny because it, it kind of gets a, a little bump every time something like this happens. It's yeah. not it's not funny, but yeah. <laughs> and then in fact, oh, here's another <laughs> announcement. Attention. This is going to be the best podcast we've done. <laughs> 
Bon voyage, baby. Here right. we go. We're on a boat. There's We're a, moving. There's a good chance we may have cut out halfway through a safety announcement there, because, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right, I think... I think that's all the announcements over, so we may, we probably will have cut a lot of that out, and we're going to be cutting back in now. Yeah, post announcement. We had to hear the important safety announcements. So what in case of an emergency, in about? case of an emergency, we have to go down that stairway B. Yeah, get in the van and drive it right off the ramp yeah. into the water. Because they said if you've got a big van, it will drive along the seabed. Yes. So that's as far as I understood. Anyway, where were we? I yeah. don't know. Or just. A film the police kind of sadly becoming regularly irrelevant. I mean, the thing that I liked about a film the police and the thing that that that, that, that really struck a chord with me is the fact that, fuck's sake. <laughs> right, I think these are ideal conditions. I think. I think we will have faded out probably three times there because of announcements, <laughs> but we should now. We're now at sea. Um, so there are no laws. We should be able to continue on. But, but what I was trying to say was I liked that film The Police was in many ways a non-aggressive and non-confrontational, although it was taken by a lot of police and a lot of um, people in that kind of area and sports as, as, as aggressive. But I liked it because it wasn't. If, if, if you're not doing anything sh- shady, then there's nothing... There's no threat from being filmed. Yeah. You know, whereas if... if if we're shining a torch on on, on, on the actions of, of the, the many, then hopefully it's the few that are acting up that will get exposed, yeah. you know? And even the ones that aren't, the ones that are being he- heroes out here, they yeah. post that video up. Yeah, yeah. F- f- film the police and post it if they're sh- yeah. shitty or awesome. If you, yeah. you've got a hero on camera, then go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. but, we're Please. Not, but we're not seeing many of them. Yeah, we're yet no, to no, see no, those no. surface. Not too common. So, yeah, so that, that just, yeah, it keeps... Rearing its head and becoming a kind of yeah painfully f- and uh, you know I'm I'm happy um, because when I think about making political music, I have been very turned off at times by people that do what I consider like bumper sticker rap, which is just like uh, although you know later the song which side are you on um, of mine it could could be considered that and it, it is the one time I kind of allowed myself that but like I think it's very easy to say kind of blanket political stuff that people will agree with you you know politicians are shitty uh you you know f the police whatever you know like you can just any good or decent writer can string together a bunch of kind of broad uh you know sloganeering that that people will get excited about um and i never wanted to make music like that when i thought about making political songs i wanted to make political songs that were practical and immediate and useful yeah and so that's why songs like film the police appeal to me or songs like uh rsvp on house of bees volume one that was about a very specific incident and a very specific thing you can do um and so that that like push toward like practicality to me is gratified by the fact that now I just see film the police spray paint on walls spray painted on walls or I see people at protests holding signs that say film the police or I see rappers making their own shirts that say film the police that don't know who the hell we are you know Um, that's great like I'm excited that I've contributed like a phrase that that is useful in that way yeah yeah no that's dope I mean you say uh, a tracks like which 
a, a which side are you on were broader but um that was one that was kind of adopted or used in some um lgbt s- s- stuff right was it c- c- cc when the, yes yeah yeah and we did yeah so that, discuss let's that's explain true some too, of yeah. that explain the kind of yeah, story yeah. there well the song Cause there's a lot of political areas that you've you've been yeah, active yeah. and kind of got involved in so yeah. i think that's key to get to get a lot of that across yeah the the song which side are you on is one uh we sampled pete seeger um who's a, obviously a legend in uh folk music and the song which side are you on uh has an incredible history that i i'm still learning about as i go place to place and perform it mm-hmm. um it's just this really haunting, powerful, simple chorus, um, and it's very you know it's the the plainest question you can ask, um, and so that that song has been used in different struggles around the world at different times um and so i had that pete seeger sample for years and i knew i loved it and i knew i wanted to use it but i i also knew for a long time that i wasn't ready to use it right because it was such a heavy heavy thing and um i just kind of found myself it was on this it came out on the same album as film the police and it was a time when not a lot of people were making political rap obama had been uh elected and and everyone that a lot of people on the left took that as a signal to like just chill, chill out, you yeah. know. You know, during the Bush years, every single rapper had a political song, and then like everybody got quiet for a minute. Um, and just for me personally, I was at a point in my life where I was ready to speak really, really plainly and directly and make a song that answered the question which side am I on like just yeah. for the record like every B. Dolan song is not going to be like this or about this but uh, for the record like here's where I'm at on a whole bunch of things and um, I mean I think what's great about that as well again when I first heard it what struck me was the the fact that it's in, in, in many ways it's acknowledging that some of the hip hop and hip hop acts that you're talking about in that are, are legends are legends yeah, of hip hop yeah. but yeah. You can't. They can't. They can no longer really hold your respect because of their use of the word faggot. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're homophobic. They're sexist. They're misogynistic. Yep. Kind of stuff. So how was that to write, and how was that to kind of get comfortable with in a way? Because I'd imagine you're kind of calling out a lot of your own hip hop heritage there. A lot yeah, of the yeah. stuff that you grew up loving. Yep. Kind of saying, kind of fuck that. It's kind of. It's okay that that's that's dead. Everyone talks about hip hop dying. It's kind of okay yeah. that 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 kind yeah has died yeah yeah and that was you know um there there are and we've always kind of, that was also me kind of uh embracing like something you know a strange famous and our particular little niche of indie rap um has has for a long time been associated with like you know we've kind of been outsiders we like have been called you know nerd rap before there was a legitimate thing that was nerd yeah. rap. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they used to write us off as nerd rap or art fags, or you know, like we were, we were taken down notches or excluded from a larger hip hop community um, coming up. And at a certain point, I just embraced that. And yeah. and I, at a certain point, I also realized that the same people who were saying hip hop is dead were the folks that were rigidly policing the borders of hip-hop like this is not hip-hop this is not hip-hop this is not hip-hop the only thing that's hip-hop is it has to sound like it was made in 1994 and you have to rap about being a tough guy and you have you know like uh so those i was aware of those things and and 
I just realized like okay like I'm we're art fags then like yeah. you know but but that the reality is that like hip hop is not dead and you know you know you're not doing a favor to queer people by allowing them to come to a hip hop show you're doing a favor to yourself you're doing a favor to hip hop by allowing other perspectives and other people and yeah. and women you know who have felt incredible you know who have been made to feel uncomfortable or uh, you know talked about as objects uh, yeah. in your music by creating a space where they can be your that's what's that's what will keep hip hop alive that yeah. is what will refresh it uh, not you know rigidly trying to keep it conforming to some old version of that yeah allowing it to grow and and develop and become the the vast spanning genre it is rather yeah. than being oh no this is this is our hip, this is real hip hop yeah <laughs> real hip hop yeah and it's a shame too because you know I, I listen to like that that Eminem song rap god that came out um i guess last year and you know he's still saying faggot on it and yeah it's, ki- it's killer because he kills it and comes back with yeah. some of his best rhyming and skill yep. and technique. And then, he's the, ever and done. then that's and in there. And silly it, little. And it's and it's in a way it's good because he was making that you know he was saying that same stuff ten years ago, and it was less controversial. It's it, or it was it was controversial then, but it it didn't feel as dated as it does now. Yeah. When you hear that in 2014, it's just like, oh man, like this again, like, yeah, uh, what embarrassing. is it? You know, is it two, is it 1999 right now? Yeah. You know, we we as a culture have moved on past that, and you hear that, and it's just a shame. You're hearing one of the best lyricists in rap. I'll give Eminem that. I'll yeah. say he's one of the most technically gifted lyricists in rap, but you're hearing him say this dumb shit yeah. that make him sound like an uh, ignorant 12 year old yeah 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 yeah. So, so 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 what was your starting point in 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 rap in in, in the industry and I, I know you were in the spoken well, words yeah realm for a while I was I guess my starting point was hearing the diary by Scarface when I was yeah. 12 years old and um, that I, I mean, I was a weird little kid. I was very obsessed with death and my own death, and I thought a lot about that stuff. And I, and I, I wasn't afraid as a young kid. I mean, in second grade, reading like Pet Cemetery and stuff. Like I was very drawn to an exploration of death and dying and yeah. violence. And you know, there were certain things I saw around me that I, I wanted explanations for. And I was, I think I was looking for that. And I heard The Diary by Scarface, and I heard this really dark song of his called Jesse James. Mm-hmm. And um, and in that music, I heard for the first time, like, the those things expressed. And it was, that song is what made me want to be a writer. And I started yeah. writing at that age. Um, and then, so from there, I just, <laughs> I found whatever rap I could find. It wasn't really everywhere at the time. Uh, it was on like a Boston radio station or cassettes we'd trade at school. And yeah. um, and then when I was 18, I moved out of my house, moved to New York because it was three hours south and it's where all my favorite rappers lived and came from. And I just had no idea how anything worked. I just, I went to the city and was like, all right, you're going to get on stage and be discovered. Yeah. Uh, and... Started and that didn't quite happen, at, right? <laughs> well, I started performing at the New Eurekan Poets Cafe, yeah. um, which was really popping at, 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 as a spoken word spot at the time and a kind of neo soul hip hop spot at the time. Um, 
Ruckus Records was really big at the time that I was in the city. So most Def and Talib Kweli were in there and uh, or associated with it. Stretch and Bobito and them and. Um, and I performed there, and I was kind of immediately successful. Like, uh, I won a couple slams, and I was approached by this dude named Big Brother Wayne, who was taping the pilots of what later became Deaf Poetry Jam. Right. And he invited me to the Rush Arts Gallery for a taping. So I'm like an 18-year-old kid who comes from like some mill town in Rhode Island and I'm in New York City I'm, I was uh, homeless at the time I was selling weed out of a backpack that I was li- also living out of and uh, I you know I'm in this art gallery full of beautiful people industry people supermodels everybody's on cocaine everybody's like shady and weird like I perform I get taped I get filmed I don't know what the hell's going on. Like, I'm trying to get answers from people about, like, all right, what happens with the tape now? What, you know? And uh, and that back that backpack, I I had put it down in the back of the room. And at one point, I turned around and saw this dude who was dressed a little different than everybody else, and he was touching the bag, and he was touching the bag, in the pocket where the weed was hidden, yeah. and he was like messing with the strap on it. And I kind of ran up on him, and I was like, hey man, like, is it is it cool if I put my bag here? And he kind of like was taken aback and backed off, and he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, sorry." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, all right." And I kind of like flexed on him a little bit, <laughs> and then uh, and then later I turn around and look again, and I realized that was Russell Simmons that I Damn. that I um, threatened. <laughs> but uh, he was probably I think checking out the construction of my army bag because uh, it had some cool straps and buckles, yeah. and, and uh, but you know I just walked you out of there like, him. yeah, man, I walked out of there just feeling so overwhelmed. Like yeah. that, when I first heard the words death jam i was like this is it it's on and popping like here we go like here's here's my career as an artist but um i walked out of there just feeling like i can't i can't move in this world i can't get things done there i'm too you know the stuff i was joking about earlier i'm too fat i'm too ugly i'm too mean you know uh but it was just it was more like i i had no experience of anything i didn't I didn't know what my stuff was going to sound like yet. Yeah. And people are coming up to you like, I'm a manager. I'm a producer. You know, you don't know what any of those things are. People are offering things. But, you, you know, all you want to do is just make rap music. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> like, so. And all of that help can come too early. Yeah. You know, it's, yep. it, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not always great to have it all handed to you on a plate because you're yeah, not yeah. actually learning it. As yeah, you were yeah. saying with the pop stuff, because when that that's then taken away potentially you're then swimming in deep waters without a a clue so the idea of trying to navigate that was was too intimidating to me and I was I just that's how I kind of came to the DIY ethic without even knowing that the scene existed for it I was just like okay if I want beats then I have to buy a drum machine and make my beats if I want to record I gotta uh, get a laptop and start learning to track my own vocals and I still track my own vocals to this day um, you know I Someone bought me some studio time as a gift, and I was I uh, I was in like a paid studio situation for like three hours or something like that, and it was you know somebody's in your ear like go and and you at eighteen you know again like you don't know what your stuff is gonna sound yeah. like you have to experiment for a thousand hours yeah. you have to make a bunch of sh- crappy songs I mean that's great know. to hear because that comes across I mean in, in in the van on this this tour you've played me some stuff from the new uh, new record uh, which is out next year and one of the things that struck me instantly was I thought the vocals sounded like some of the best vocals I've I've heard on a rap record and again that's not gonna be because you've 
that's spent thousands and thousands. It's because you know what you want yeah, from it, you know, does, rather so. than rather than jumping in this expensive studio but that isn't suited to what you do or isn't you know familiar it's got to have been that trial and error over the years to go and Sage has always been the same I remember when I had him on Let Him Come he sent me over the vocals in a very locked off don't touch these you can't do anything to this because it's like that's how my vocals that's that's how I wish for my vocals to be it wasn't a kind of because again often in collaborations it'll be another engineer will be putting it together and changing stuff and making it fit but and I got that I kind of got the vocal I was like right cool well I understand that that's you've worked years to get this that's how you want your your vocals to sound and that's that's fine yeah and it was a it was a hell of a, I knew nothing about anything. I was talking about this yesterday too. Uh, my favorite tape was To Cal uh, by Method Man. Yeah. And that uh, was like an early Wu Tang record where like they barely, I think they barely knew how to work their equipment. They probably had like secondhand used weird ass shit. And they yeah. were on Angel Dust while they were making yeah, 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 yeah. it. And uh, and you know. I was sat at a computer then trying to figure out how to make my stuff sound like that and all I knew was it sounded like crappy it sounded yeah. shitty and I would like try and tell people like I don't know man I think maybe we should just like rub dirt in yeah. the machine yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. I don't know I, like Sage made fun of me for years because all my early stuff was so distorted because I and, and looking at a, just a list of effects I see like distortion yeah that sounds yeah. that sounds like what I need so there's distortion on the vocals distortion on the beat distortion on the sample like it was just a mess I've always been listening to to, to to Zane Lowe's radio show and Zane Lowe was on the podcast before and it was after Wu-Tang had played Glastonbury yeah. and a lot of people were complaining and saying they they it's, it sounded awful the sound was terrible and Zane Lowe on a big pop station was just going have you heard the their records it's like there's not there's not high quality versions (laughs) of those beats that's what the beats sound like you're hearing them in a field in a a grimy club it'll sound exactly the same but it fits the reason you thought it sounded shit is because it kind of is shitty they can't now turn around high quality versions of stuff that were never recorded in high quality so yeah that's that thing about limitation you know breeding creativity too you know I even uh, I'm paying attention to movies as well and you know we were talking about the purge the first purge versus the second purge the second purge the franchise got all this money behind it they they could do anything they wanted and it wasn't as scary as the first purge where it was just a home invasion movie with four actors you know yeah yeah Um, and I think simplicity is is always interesting. I might have already quoted this on the podcast before, but Ian McKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat. I remember when I was a little punk kid and looking at starting just doing anything. And when I started doing uh, hip hop, it was his his ethic. The thing he loved was he was said he was always far more excited to hear the music of four guys that have got all these ideas but barely enough talent to yeah. to, to put it down to get yeah, it out yeah. of them. Yeah. We'd rather hear that far more than guys who can work a guitar up and down and know everything because it's that that raw passion so I'm like I need to get this out there you know I've not got necessarily the technical ability to express everything I want but I'm going to express as much of it as I can in this manner yeah so yes, so, so where did it go from there? You're in New York. You've 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 chased <laughs> off Russell Simmons. You've, you've literally chased off the hand I of am, commercial hip hop yes. at that point. Yep. And where does it go from there? Uh, so then, I, it, then it just becomes uh, being working class in New York City and trying to, you know, trying to grind in your spare time. So I was working as a doorman on Park Avenue. Uh, 
dropped out of school. I was trying to get my rap career off the ground. My man was trying to start a clothing label. Uh, our other homie that dropped out with us was trying to do graphic design. Uh, so we were all living in a house together and just, uh, you know, commuting an hour to work and from work, working the night shift, uh, dealing with miserable millionaires on Park Avenue. Damn. And then uh, 9-11 happened. And... Uh, which, you know, obviously threw everybody for a crazy loop. My man that I dropped out with as well, he was from Kenya. And he uh, he had just come from, like, growing up in a civil war. <laughs> so, And I'm just a paranoid person by nature. So I remember the night of September 11th, we were sitting there with a world atlas. And we were just like, okay... Like, we're at war, and this is ground zero. We have to get out of the country right now. Like, we had a plan to, like, drive to Minnesota to stay with a uncle of his because no no it's flights crazy. were leaving. So then we were going to drive to Minnesota, cross the border to Canada, fly to Norway. We, we identified <laughs> Norway as, like, the, where, where the safe zone was going to be. It's a, it's a solid choice. Yeah, we it's had a, a solid plan. choice. But uh, so then we chilled out the next day, and we were like, "All right, like if if one more thing happens in the city, we got to get out of here." And then people started getting mailed anthrax all over the city. Yeah. And the first anthrax case came into my girlfriend at the time's um, mother's hospital. She was working at the reception desk, and they brought in the first anthrax case. So we were just like, it was crazy, man. It was it was like looking back, like I lost my mind. You know, it was a weird time of paranoia and you just anywhere you go in New York City you are with an incredibly good target you know you're yeah. just on a subway with 500 other people yeah, looking yeah, at the yeah, grates yeah. in the subway and you know you're always in a crowd um, and and beyond that too the just the working class like artist rap in in New York is really difficult there's there's a million people doing stuff and you're you can there's a million incredibly talented people doing stuff yeah um and so, but really the September 11th stuff was what was on my mind. And we wigged out and we went back to Providence. And on the way there, I talked to Bob Holman, who was one of the founders of the New Yorican, told him I was going to Providence. And he was like, oh, go find Sage Francis there. He's the only poet in the scene. And, uh, <laughs> and at the time, I wasn't even trying to make a go of it in art anymore. Like the, the Def Jam thing really kind of put me off. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to make my weird stuff for myself and I'm yeah. just going to pass it out in unmarked CDs to people and I'm just going to you know like this music is never going to go anywhere but yeah. I still really want to make it so I'm going to make it but I'm not I'm not trying to perform I'm not trying to do any of that like I'm not and uh, what I was trying to do because of the you know the 9-11 stuff also kind of catapulted me into activism and made me really feel that like writing political poems and stuff was worthless and that yeah. like what I needed to do was get involved in social justice work so we came, I came back to New York and we started this organization where we would go into high schools and perform and then we would talk to the kids that got excited about that performance and we would create a little club in the high school. We'd get a faculty moderator who would facilitate it once a week for them to meet and just like a little spot where the poet kids could come read each other poems, the musicians could come do that because... All I knew, number one is all I knew was art, so I wanted to use that somehow. And the other thing was, uh, for some reason, I kind of treat. I saw the September 11th thing 
or empathized with people that had so little value of themselves that they would fly a plane into a building and kill a bunch of people for some religious asshole. And then on the other side, empathized with young kids who thought so little of themselves that they would go fight a war, you know, on the other side of the world because George Bush told them to, you know. And and so I saw it as, like, I experienced or processed it as a crisis of, like, people's self-worth or something. So I... You know, I was doing that, and I hit Francis up via email, and I told him my idea to go into high schools, and he was like, nah, man, if, you know, he punked me off. He was like, if you yeah. if you bring me to high schools, I'm just going to swear in front of the teachers and, and be an asshole and do all the things I wanted to do in high school. Nah, man, I'm not interested. And he punked me off, and that was, I was like, all right, I'm going to have to go to where these dudes are and, like show them that I'm not just some random chump in their inbox like and so that's how I ended up performing at the Providence Poetry Slam and meeting Sage and immediately I walked in with a chip on my shoulder and the two you know the, the two of us had like this really competitive uh Relationship for for years. It was just it was very like yeah. Oh, oh Sage Francis, all right, yeah, yeah, all right. Like you know <laughs> and uh and then but but there was like a mutual respect. There was yeah. like a mutual begrudging respect and we started talking on AIM and stuff and uh and then eventually just uh I don't know, we just became friends and then created no more dot org in two thousand five. And from there, you know, I've been. He brought me out on the road, like I was saying, yeah. and because and, uh, it's always been interesting. I mean, we definitely. I already had note to go into no more yeah. We'll go into that in a minute. But it's always been interesting. Um, people are always confused as to what your role or involvement in Strange Famous Records is because you're you're always so you're such a representation of it. It's not. I think you and Sage are the two acts that you can't really disassociate from strange right, right, famous right. everyone else there's a lot of other people under the under the bracket but mm-hmm. you know some people will know what label they're on or whatever and some won't right, right. there's some people who've drifted in for one album and right, so on right. and so forth but so how did how was that to kind of go from being kind of competitive um uh, of sorts to kind of to to working together in yeah in, 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 well i mean obviously sage had started the label and all yeah. that but it does feel that both of you have helped it grow and you know yeah build well it. i mean to to be honest man he he just gave me a lot of game like he he you know when i like i said like you know coming from where i was at when i met him um we 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 had like almost like philosophical debates via aim aim for those who are young is uh was it american america online instant messenger it was right. like the early the early g chat the early whatsapp whatever Emerson. yeah yeah um and uh but we would just have these long i wish we still had those transcripts man cuz i'd love yeah. to read them like we would just have because we we'd both be up late working on our on our stuff and so we you know i just have this window open with francis in it and we would just have these long conversations but you know I, he had to he had to like convince me of everything like uh thinking back you know cuz i had just come from my like disgust with Def Jam and my dis- uh, I had briefly been in the slam poetry scene and then like bounced out of that because I, I fi- uh, you know it was just a really like self-congratulatory world where I picked up some skills but then like once you pick up those skills you should get the hell out of slam yeah. poetry yeah, and yeah, sing, yeah, yeah. you know um, but and so I wasn't trying to be on stage I was just trying to be like 
purely creative in a very like idealistic way because also because I didn't believe that there was any financial way that I could make what I wanted to make and have it pay me and be yeah. my career. And so we would have conversations. I would be like, "Yo, how many times are you gonna perform makeshift patriot? Like you yeah. just go, you just go. What's, what do you do? You just go perform makeshift patriot over and over and over and over. Like you want me to do still electric a million times? Like yeah. I've I've done it." In two seasons of poetry slams. I don't want to do that poem ever again. I want to make another poem. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to hear that poem. Like, um, and he, and he had to be like, no. Like you have to, you have to make it fresh for yourself. You have to figure out a way. You know, I I didn't understand that. You know, when you've performed a song for two years, the song is still getting written. And we talked yeah, the other day about yeah. you go back and listen to the original, and it's like, oh yeah, that's what that sounded like. Yeah. Because the song does continue to. And also I think a thing that people struggle to realize as well is or to try and focus and remember on the the the, the buzz and excitement of when you first wrote that or when you first got to yeah. perform that because for many many years there's going to be a large percentage of the crowd right. that are hearing it for the first time right, right, you right. kind of have in your head oh this is my old stuff because there might be two guys you recognize who come at, to every sh- every yeah. show in that area it's like the rest of the people in that room haven't heard this before yeah, and yeah. you still need to smash it out in the yeah, same yeah. manner and the same yeah. the same passion rather yeah. than like churning through this again in front of the same people yeah, you yeah. Know? and I didn't understand that you know and he, he he had to tell me about that or we we had the conversation because again I was trying to do the the you know working with youth and I thought that was more important than focusing on my art and he was like I inspire kids to write by just being Sage Francis like I yeah. get hit up all the time like you inspire me to make you know you inspire me to create That's um, such a good good, good get out clause as well right <laughs> yeah. I don't need to go into the school yeah. students uh, my focus is being an overall inspiration <laughs> I don't want to specify my inspiration on these five kids yeah, I need yeah. it to be a broader thing but, but it's true as but well he was, true. he was talking to me like he he saw in me a talented someone that was was good enough to do what he does yeah. and so he came at me <laughs> he challenged all of what I thought I had to be or do yeah. and it, it was like at the right time like he, that's why man I, I, I'll give it up to that dude forever man he you know he really he put me up on shit I mean I think one of the big connections I see with you guys and one that I felt I had with like when we first started working together as well was the work ethic side of it and the approach of going out there and grinding it and I, I remember the first time I messaged Sage kind of mid-December to kind of just say what I was doing and being because I've always had that's exactly I've always had the music it pisses me off that the music industry goes to sleep in December so it's always been my time for for getting ahead of the game and then I remember just emailing Sage saying you might not get around to do this but I'm working on this at the moment or whatever and he was like no, this is this is yeah. It, it kind of felt like at that point it's like, yeah, yeah oh, we can work together. This is going to work. This is going to work. Because yeah, it's that. Yeah. It's, it's it, my wife it's laughs at me every that. Christmas. I storm around the house. Like, Why is no one responding to email? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I never learn. I just get frustrated every Christmas. But it's yeah. It's it's about those times when everyone else falls asleep, and that's what allows you to get ahead of the game and yeah, and, and push on. So let's go back quickly. To, it's no more.org. I do want to also get around to some general touring life stories yeah, yeah, yeah. or just ethic and approach and sacrifices even. But no more.org is something that I think is hugely important to talk about because that was one of the things when we first toured with you, 
in the UK we hadn't had much of your music over at that point so the, the one of the main things I knew about you was you'd you'd put together no more the yeah, organ yeah. is that like, right well um I'm, I want to hear this guy then like yeah, just yeah. knowing that so what was yeah. that Ex- explain what it is explain how and why you kind of put it together I, I was working on the campaign to elect John Kerry uh, yeah. in 2004 uh, and that was the that was the election in which George Bush got re-elected George W. Bush got re-elected uh, in the middle of the Iraq war and there was this big sense of emergency among people on the left like we have to get rid of George Bush we can't deal with another four years uh, and we we lost and part, most of the reason we lost I think is because John Kerry was a false choice, as the Democrats often are in our country, the kind of two-party, one-party yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in that war, uh, in that uh, election, rather, the it was a choice between the guy who wanted to stay in Iraq or the guy who wanted to stay in Iraq and send more troops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we had all gone to work and, and we were all left feeling really disenfranchised and... Uh, crestfallen about the electoral system and uh, I was thinking about other ways that we vote and I was reading the book Fast Food Nation uh, and uh, which kind of details everything that goes into McDonald's or Burger King yeah. and I was amazed at you know the workers rights violations that the horrific health conditions and all the unethical stuff even advertising to children all of the angles uh behind just like my happy meal when i purchase a happy meal that's what i endorse um and i was thinking that the average working class person would never have time to figure out all this stuff if that's just a happy meal how much more information goes into my jeans or my car yeah, or yeah, the yeah, oil exactly. I put in my car and I wish that something like no more existed and because it didn't we created it and so we created a website where you could go and enter the name of any brand product or company and get taken to a page that would tell you who owns it and then profile that company that owns it for human rights workers rights environmental concerns business ethics and political influence um, and just give you like a quick rating of like what are you buying right now yeah and ideally an alternative um and so at that time we uh, me and francis were having those that was just born out of conversations again those aim conversations between us but he was like yeah this is a good idea i want to put this to my fans we put it to his fans they were behind it they were willing to volunteer um and francis bankrolled the creation of the original site and it wasn't cheap either you know um so we built the site, and I spent you know thousands of hours creating those profiles um, and assembling all that information from all over the internet on all these different companies. Um, more people came on board over time, uh, but what what kind of eventually happened is we learned we we were originally relying at the time that this happened in 2005. There was no such thing as crowdsourcing. Mm-hmm. the The most crowdsourced way that the internet had to build something was a wiki, was Wikipedia, was yeah. it would had just happened and so we were like okay we're going to make the site a wiki and that way people can edit the entries and you know we uh, people can all work collaboratively on this huge endeavor into this huge thing yeah the problem is that wikipedia in retrospect you know if your interest is 18th century furniture you can make a wikipedia entry on you know and, and so no more is a very specific 
kind of information and people were intimidated people felt like they there was too much of a learning curve they weren't qualified to to add to, to that information that. Yeah, yeah, so we struggled one. for a long time with with getting that to be sustainable we had big successes we had successes with american apparel um and the the huge profile we did on them which led to me testifying in court against dove charney and Damn. uh and uh some some big uh cases like that and and we had we still have a readership um the problem is that the site has kind of fallen into disuse and needs to be updated and so we. So what's your plan to kind of? Yeah. yeah. What's the the future plan for NoMore.org? We've been talking about uh, putting together a Kickstarter uh, campaign, uh, which I think you know now that crowdsourcing does exist, this is the type of thing it should be used for, yeah. as opposed to like artists funding their hypothetical albums. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think that Kickstarter can be useful when when an idea is good and a, a lot of people decide that they want that to happen yeah. uh, they, they can make it happen it's a it's a concrete way to make it happen um, and so I think what we're going to do is we're going to put together uh, a, a number a number of what it will cost to update the No More website uh, also create mobile apps because at the time we were creating it we, were, we had this idea like oh man if we create this database um, we could also maybe like develop a little tool that you could put on your keychain that you could scan barcodes in the store and you could get it right at the point of purchase and know um, who's doing what and now yeah. smartphones can do that yeah, like since yeah, then completely. smartphone technology has evolved it's all there yeah um it's it's it's, it's a fascinating it's weird that you don't consider it until it's brought to your attention the fact that all of the focus is on political parties and government but no matter who the government is McDonald's are still going to run yeah. how they run or not yeah, yeah. again not using McDonald's as the easy yeah, target yeah, yeah. there's there's every different company yeah. have got their their ups and downs and that doesn't change when a new political party no, no one is is yeah. is running their election on yeah. are we going to correct the workers rights yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know at Reebok yeah. or at Nike or whoever it's like so it's it's crazy that we see the only real chance of change in an election that happens every every however many years, depending on the country or whatever. Whereas that's a day to day, a week to week, year to year action that you can change and yeah. be involved in that is as socially important as as as, as who's running the country. Yeah. And in some yeah. ways, I think that's the real the real fight. That is, you know, the, I think that the electoral politics kind of distract us from the real fight. And we were we were in Galway last night, and someone just yelled out like "fuck the water tax," yeah. uh, and we like talked about that really briefly. But you know, and and Ireland is a great example too because I, I just talked to a bunch of people that were really upset about the IMF agreement that yeah. uh, got signed. And and the thing is that. Your government doesn't even have the power anymore in many yeah. in many many cases yeah. um, because of free trade agreements and stuff like that. Uh, you're beholden to to international bankers at this point. Um, yeah, completely. You know, so there's only so much they can do, and because of the current environment there's very little that that any given country can do so like in the u.s uh, i talked to garment um unions who were incredibly frustrated and, and had basically given up trying to organize um garment uh, uh workers because 
you know, they went to war with the gap over back wages owed to this one particular factory's workers. They won their case, and then a week later, the factory closed its doors and moved to Mexico. Yeah, yeah. So, what have you done there? You know, and and what is the solution? Well, I guess we need some kind of now global workers' rights agreement. Like, how does that yeah. happen? Like, there's big questions about corporate control or the water tax thing. You know, it's, is it a human right to have clean drinking water or should someone get to profit off that? I mean, that's it. It's, it's, there's, there's so many things that people don't get involved in because it's so easy to say, well, politics as an example, well, they're all the same. I can't actually... Yeah. Or the system's fucked. I can't actually exact change. It's like, cool. But if you give a shit, then take action in other places. As you're saying there, literally just with your wallet, not even yeah. needing to do more than that. But then in numerous different areas, I think the bankers is another thing that I think is a problem. I think they're an easy enemy. They're yeah. an easy... There's yeah. nothing... There's not a lot we can do about those yeah, guys. Yeah. So it's easy to say, oh, it's the bankers. They're all shit. It's yeah. like, well... That's that's an excuse for not doing anything. The whole bankers thing, I think, is there's a lot of ignorance there anyway. I think uh, I was reading recently um, about um, in 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 or when the Greek kind of empire fell, and they they had they they brought in a thing to to spread the wealth and bring down the bankers, and everyone had to share the wealth and all this. And the bankers all left and went to to. Um, Sparta, who previously had the best warriors in the world, but no money. Sparta now had all the bankers, so they came and brought down Greece. So it's not... That's kind of going off on a tangent. It's (laughs) it's that thing of it's not that simple thing of all the bankers are the bad guys. It's like, whose money are they looking after? It's these huge corporations and everyone else. There's literally everything that you encounter on a day-to-day basis that you can take action in in some way. And that will affect the bankers. If you you think the bankers aren't aren't a target, it's like, well, look into those bankers and see who their clients are. They're going to be the people you see on the high street every day, the big companies. So get them in that way. Yeah. I just met with Greenpeace when I was in the UK, and yeah. they have just had uh, some success with Lego uh, and uh, Shell, Shell yeah. Gasoline. So they, they are uh, fighting with Shell Gasoline over um, the fact that Shell has seen the melting Arctic uh, ice caps as an, an opportunity, opportunity to go yeah. drill for more oil there. Um, and Lego has had partnered with them in this you know multi-million dollar partnership and was releasing these ads about, you know, Obviously, Lego is for kids, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Shell cares about our future, and and uh, gr- so Greenpeace went at Lego and yeah. said, like, you're for kids, yeah. and and it's hypocritical for you to be for kids and do the, <laughs> and be supporting a, a company that is actively robbing our future yeah um and they they won you know uh, being conscious of stuff like that battles like that get won all the time because companies are are, need to show a profit and they're neck and neck with each other and shareholders and stock trading and you know digital stock trading um people own shares for an average of about 30 minutes now where they were used to be three years um so there's a constant pressure on companies to show a profit margin all the time at any given time so when you start messing with the companies bottom line yeah you get results you'd be amazed at the results you get yeah i mean uh, we've been talking about 
a Greenpeace a lot in the van this week. And I think in the UK, they're a hugely a misunderstood organisation in a lot of ways because they're kind of seen as a bit of a hippie thing. But as we've been discussing, they they pull off they some gangster big shit. gangster moves. Yeah, they really... <laughs> yeah. And things like that. Things like taking on Lego and, and, and winning. And there's, there's so many companies that they've taken on, even out of the public eye, even behind closed door, that they've taken on and made change. And yeah. again, that's even more highlighting the fact that there's loads that you can do. Yeah. You can go and work with these people. You can do stuff and just yeah. support and make change rather than easily say, you know, a voting doesn't make a difference. I yeah, can't yeah, make yeah. a change and so on and so yeah. forth. There's so many different ways in there. Yeah. And the other thing, and that was something I realized uh, when working on nomore.org was I, because I was talking to, because we had that broad uh rating system we, we we wanted to know about a company's workers rights issues human rights issues environmental concerns issues so it led to me talking to everybody it led to me talking to Greenpeace it led to me talking to garment workers unions it led to me talking to uh, people that were concerned about money and politics and everybody was in crisis and everyone still yeah. is in crisis all and everyone needs help and activists you know and it's not like I said you know I told the story about coming back from New York and trying to do that stuff where, where we yeah. went into high schools and it eventually fell apart because I didn't have enough volunteers I didn't have enough experience I got burnt out and I was miserable and I you know fell out of that you know the, in in a lot of ways the same way you have to find your voice as an artist you it takes f figuring out where you fit in as an activist too that's like very much a personal journey of like what am i good at what am i not good at what drives me crazy you know maybe yeah. you know maybe you hate being around people but you can write the hell out of a grant or yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm the opposite yeah. i can't like if i have to start like filling out somebody's grant application I'd, yeah, you know, yeah, I'd rather yeah. kill myself but uh, you know but I can talk to people I can get on a stage I can you know so it's it's a personal thing to figure out um, but get like there's a million places to get in yeah. where you fit in right well, I mean let's 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 turn on attorney slightly speaking of being burnt out and miserable <laughs> let's let's go back now to, to, to tour life it's where we kind of started with this um, I want to just have a bit of a discussion briefly about the the dedication that it takes to be a, a hard working touring person. I think a things struck me recently. I mean, you've got a lot of examples which you can share as many or as few <laughs> as you want. But one of the things that, that struck me on this tour, oh, we've just had had the guitarist a, a, a Wolgie. He broke his ankle with yeah. two days to go, yeah. and it's that weird thing. I realised that because. Like he, he he broke his ankle on a night out, but in the morning when we found out about it, we'd got in the van and was starting the journey to the next gig. And it was it only occurred to me the next day that taking him to a hospital at that point didn't even cross my mind because <laughs> the show, the process of getting to the show and getting ready yeah, for the yeah. show. So yeah. once we got there, he went off to A and E, he yeah. got fixed up. But I think that kind of sums up the mentality of touring life, that it becomes, there's no option, this is it. Um, yeah. And I think it's also why artists get a bit angry when people on in, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever saying, no love for Newcastle, no love for this. <laughs> it's like, we, we, as me and Sage discussed as well on the podcast, we'll generally tour as much and as deeply as a human body can handle. <laughs> and more. Um, but yeah, let's... 
uh, tell me some of your tour, 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 tour moments, tour pains, tour sacrifices, tour. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not yeah, even yeah. suggesting any joys here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I spoke to a bunch of kids that wanted to be in the music industry yesterday, and, yeah. and they, uh, they you know they ended on like the very typical question is like what is your advice to somebody that wants to do what you do wants to because i the previous thing i had said was like you know i really like my job like i i get to be creative all the time and like if i'm not if i'm not writing a song you know i i gotta handle emails and all that but if you know I work for House of Bees Incorporated which is in the you know manages my career um and so sometimes that means designing t-shirts sometimes that means designing album covers and they're like wow you know how do I get to be like creative all the time like that and I was like well you know like or, you know and it's always the question what is your advice and my answer these days is quit you should not try and you should stop and you should quit <laughs> and uh, because because a it's less for me to compete with and b um, that is that's all anybody ever told me yeah really you know I uh, my parents were really not with it and I was a stubborn hard-headed kid and I I just looking back it's odd but I was single-minded from the minute I realized I wanted to do yeah. this no matter what no matter how many beatings I got no matter how many uh, relationships I ruined no matter how many uh, you know major life events I missed uh, from the in the lives of people I love um, you know really hard brutal stuff I, and I, yeah. I was giving that talk and I was like you know I have a raging sinus infection today and it's a good day right now yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, I mean I think it's, it's genuinely <laughs> as funny as it sounds it's good advice because if quitting is in any way an option then yeah. that's probably the best choice because yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's the fact that it's only when it's not an option yeah. and that's the example of with with a woogie's foot was yeah. it, it it wasn't an option is you know yeah, yeah. the 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 show must or Switzerland, right? For right. you is another yes. example. Let's go. Yes. Let's go there. Oh, Switzerland. Yeah, I was in. Uh, <laughs> this is another one. That's, Again, it just highlights. I think that there's not. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't cross your mind that there's an option of. Yeah. It's not like a normal job. Where it's like, yeah. I've got a bit of a cold. I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna chill. If, and it, I guess that comes down to what music is and what people are doing when they're buying a ticket. They're not just spending it in a shot you know they're paying for something that means a lot to them so for you yeah. to it's a personal contract between you two despite mm-hmm. there being promoters yeah, and whatnot yeah, so yeah. it's tough to then go I'm not feeling too well today yeah, yeah. it's easy in a job in in, in, yes. in an office or in a, right, a record right, right. store or whatever it's kind of easier to go well I don't I don't feel up to it today but yeah, yeah. it's different when it's going on stage yeah so, I've so, never so, thought so, about it in those terms but yeah there is like a very single minded drive that gets you to the next show yeah so, so let's yeah. go to Switzerland Switzerland <laughs> I was in St. Galen Switzerland in uh, I think maybe 2009 I was by myself I was on a tour of Europe where I was I just had like my clothes on my back my laptop in one hand and I was a roller bag full of merchandise in the other and I was just uh, in a booklet full of train tickets kind of like the tour Sages on now yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. and um, and I was by myself in St. Galen Switzerland and I suddenly got these crippling stomach pains and uh, I I was really, really sick. I was, I was bad. I was backstage, like watching the clock uh, tick down to the time I needed to be on stage, just in horror. And uh, it was also one of the highest paying ones on the tour, and it was going to financially screw up the whole tour if I didn't perform. And I knew the promo- promoter wasn't going to pay me if I didn't do it. And I kind of, I did that whole set, 
just I don't know how I did it. I just was hanging on the I was literally holding myself up with the mic stand, just kind of doing the song as it sounds on the record, press play, do the next one, press play, do the next one. And I apologized to the crowd at the end and said, like, look, I'm really sick. I'm gonna get off this stage and go straight to your nearest hospital. I'm sorry guys, I'll I'll catch you next time. So after forty five minutes, got off stage, promoter took my stuff to the hotel. I went to the hospital in St. Helena at like two AM. Walk in, two night nurses ask them uh, you know i just look at them and say english and they both like shake their heads nope like all right so now i'm trying to communicate to these nurses what is physically wrong with me just motioning toward my stomach um and they you know so they're running all kinds of like ultrasounds and they thought it might have been my gallstone or something like that finally after about four or five hours they find a nurse that can speak english she comes down they've got the test results she tells me we need to give you PC, and I, that means nothing to me. So I was like, "What? what is a PC? And she gets very flustered because she hasn't had to describe this in quite a while, but she's like, it's a tube in the anus. And, uh, and I, I suddenly I realized she's describing an enema. I was like, an enema is what I need. And she's like, yes, an enema. She's like, I can do it for you or you can do it for yourself. And uh, I'm trying to preserve my last sh- shred of dignity. Like I'll do it myself. They wheel me into a bathroom, and it turns out I do not understand the mechanics of my own ass all that well. So I, after a couple of minutes, I just had a wet ass, and uh, and I had to call her back in and <laughs> just be like, I, I need you to do. It. So she gave me an enema. The next day, I had to I had to cancel a show. Still one of the only shows I've ever canceled. The other ones were when my father passed away, um, but the I canceled that show in show in Vienna. No love for Vienna. No love for Vienna. <laughs> and uh, spent the next day like in a hotel room where I had to drink like a, a colon prep and give myself another enema all day. And that was St. Galen, Switzerland. Damn, that was some good times <laughs> on the road then. But again, what's, what's be- kind of ill though, I just remembered this. That was in St. Galen. In 2010, the next year, that same promoter brought me back. I was on tour with Sage. And that was, uh, my father was diagnosed with lung cancer um, uh, right before I went on, uh, embarked on the touring, like six months of touring for Fallen House Sunken City in 2010. And we we toured together during that time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, me well. and Francis were on tour together that time. And his father passed away during that time, during which he... Uh, you know, he he missed one show. He he played Seattle, crazy. flew home, buried his father, and flew back and rejoined the tour in San Francisco. Um, it's so insane. that was it's the kind of stuff you know, that people it's not going to be communicated yeah, or yeah. understood. That yeah, this you is can't. that's yeah. the. But again, it's that same a, a weird mentality of I'm sure that didn't seem that insane to Sage at yeah, the time. Was, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it seemed yeah, like well, yeah. right. Well, I need to. Yeah, yeah. I need to go back. Yeah. And deal with this obviously yeah, but yeah. how few days can I miss and yeah yeah and it's crazy so that happened during our US tour and then uh, you know this is all, all while my father was receiving chemotherapy treatment and all that and, and both of our fathers were young they were in their 50s and um, and we so then we were we, me and him were in Europe together and uh, my father took a turn for the worse we completed the European tour I was about to have to we were going to fly to Australia and do like seven days in Australia and then I was going to be home uh, but I got the news that my father had taken a turn for the worst yeah. and I played the Amsterdam show and then we booked a flight and I went home and I was with my father when he died thankfully yeah. um, but 
the show that I missed the next day was in St. Galen, Switzerland. Damn. <laughs> yeah. It was the same promoter. So the promoter in St. Galen, Switzerland thinks I'm a very unreliable these, guy. These bullshit excuses. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally bullshit. <laughs> Damn, that's craziness. <laughs> That's crazy to well it's I mean we're kind of at a good point to start to wrap things up, but can yeah. we talk about what's 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 the future plan? Obviously we'll go to where can people keep up to date with with everything really. I think the no more development is one that when I've mentioned it previously on the podcast with yeah. a, a Russell Brand, people instantly wanted to know. In fact, that's what I need to do now is K-N-O-W-M-O-R-E dot yeah, org. Because yeah. I had loads of people go to, to N-O, yeah, you know, yeah. to, to get that across. That it's no as yeah. in you're learning and more, we, you know, more we knowledge. May need, we may, may need to rename it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, but I... I, I think I, as soon as you've seen it written yeah. down once, it yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. just when people hear it, they can't... Yeah. Again, it's logical. It's no. But, no, the, no you no. know, I'm, I'm not even... Uh, attached to the name at this point I, th- I yeah. think what, what what we need to do is is like drastically revamp that website and that whole organization so we're going to figure out how much it, the dollar figure is to rebuild and create mobile apps for Android and iPhone then we're going to figure out how much it costs to pay a journalist to to do those entries because we've now learned that it's not going to be a wiki you know yeah. that's not going to work so pay someone a modest salary to keep it relevant and stocked with information um, and then pay someone a modest salary to manage it as a nonprofit and figure out a sustainable future for fundraising. Because that was another thing we figured out is that you know no one's going to advertise with you if you're criticizing corporations. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, so yeah. it has to. And, and merchandise is not going to fund a website yeah, like that, which yeah. needs technology. So it needs a nonprofit administrator who can figure out fundraising appeals, partnerships with other organizations. Yeah. And there's a million partnerships that are possible because we kind of cover everything. Um, so we're going to figure out what that number is. And we're going to present it to people as a Kickstarter, and if we raise, and it'll be a big number. But if we raise that number, then it it's happens. a thumbs up from the internet. Like yeah, this needs to continue to exist because there still is no database like it on the internet, and people yeah. still do use it. But it it needs to be better. Um, and so that's going to be coming soon. People will be hearing about that yep. Kickstarter, whatever Indiegogo, whatever yeah, 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 whichever works. Doing. Um, and yeah, I'm going to go home now after this tour. Uh, we're going to release the next House of Bees mixtape from me and Buddy Peace in December. Yep. And then uh, I'm going to A few of the tracks already that yeah, have come off of that have been yep. going down yeah, like that's crazy. Yeah, Trouble and the Devil, the Devil is Alive, which yep. we got a co-sign from Freeway Ricky Ross yep. on that one. That's kind uh, of dope. But yeah, and uh, so that'll be out in December, and then the official album will be out in uh, late spring, early summer. Yep. Depends on you, really. Depends on me, yeah. Depends on when yeah. I choose to put it out. I've been, <laughs> it's been sitting in my inbox for so long. <laughs> and, Joking you know, there. Four years, four years is a long time, but I we've kind of like reinvented the wheel with it a little bit. We, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've been way more involved in production than ever before, but it's also a really, really collaborative album. There's tons of live musicians. I mean, it's, it's been the ex- exciting thing for me on this tour is he- he- hearing more of the songs that are almost there and on yeah, their way yeah, from yeah. This, this record, and it feels like... Uh, um, yeah, if it feels uh, we've spent years on the merch proof together, and when people ask what's the best record to go for, it's always a hard one because you've got so much stuff spread over so many yeah, records, yeah, yeah. and it feels like you're soon going to have the one that's like, well, here's yeah, yeah. here's here's the one. There's yeah. the, you know, you need to get the back catalogue as well, but yeah, here's yeah. the one. Yeah, this yeah. Is it. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah, and, I'm proud of it, and I I felt strongly like things needed to go up from Fallen House yeah. and from House of Bees and I feel like this kind of captures the best of of 
those, but also brings it somewhere else. And Alias is involved, Buddy Peace is involved, all kinds of crazy collaborators that we shouldn't even talk about are involved. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it sounds like four years and that's why I'm you know it's a little scary for an artist to be away and not have an official album for four years but I'm still rocking with the idea that if it's a classic if it's worth waiting for then they'll wait and that's it it's exactly as you've you've said earlier as well though it's it's not like you've been sitting around on your ass for four years you've been working you've been touring out there so the stuff that may not be new to you has found a lot of new ears and a lot of new fans therefore hopefully when it all culminates with this record coming out I still like them too so that's a good sign I've been listening to them for four years yeah (laughs) so so where can people keep up to date with you Twitter, Instagram yeah yeah. twitter.com dot http dot why am I giving the dot com <laughs> everyone knows dot com on twitter I'm bdolensfr instagram bdolensfr facebook bdolensfr easy to find bdolen.net strangefamous.com let's, you know, let's do this then we have development. let's wrap up on this and go and uh, reap some havoc on an Irish ferry yeah I'm, I'm thinking I'm just gonna go up in club class and just go crazy last genuinely uh, last time I don't think you were uh, with us no one but last time I caught this ferry we got kicked out of club class because we'd we'd stormed it because there were no seats and we'd stormed it and our tour manager Ollie we'd all sat down and they came to kick us out and he said we're not moving bring your manager (laughs) and and they had to explain this is a boat the manager is the captain you're going to get arrested and then we had to leave um, hashtag occupy club class (laughs) club class war well thank you very much for talking B-Dolan it's been a pleasure and we will uh, yeah see you soon hey I love you Scroobies (laughs) stop touching me was Distraction Pieces Podcast 9 with B. Dolan. Um, as you will have heard, we recorded that on a ferry, um, so it got a bit messy. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it was bearable uh, listening. We certainly enjoyed chatting, despite the fact we'd just spent three weeks in each other's company constantly. It's always great. I love having people like that in my life that I can, you know, after all that time, just in each other's pockets to be able to sit down for 60 minutes and still have plenty to say is it's a blessing so thank you to mr b dolan next week's podcast um originally i I recorded this one it's with a a rapper called open mike eagle who released my album of the year this year i originally recorded this because he was in the uk um for a few more days but i was scheduling this to come out in the new year simply because i don't like to have tons of rappers in a row you know i've got a huge variation of guests coming up take my word on that i'll be announcing more soon it's very exciting but i've got actors i've got comedians i've got scientists i've got activists i've got all sorts so i don't like to do kind of too many rappers in a row but this is kind of the sad part of the story here. The reason it's been moved f- forward is we discuss certain things. Obviously, again, speaking to a black American in these current times, obviously certain things came up. We spoke about Ferguson. Uh, we spoke about all these things. Um, and you know what? It occurred to me this week with things that have been going on recently. The sad fact is, at the moment, if we leave it till the new year, it might not be clear which 
huge injustice in America are we talking about or referencing? And that's a scary and depressing thought, the fact that uh, a conversation could become out of date within a month because of the amount of things that are coming up. But, I mean, already we're discussing with Dolan here the, the Mike Brown and Ferguson stuff, and since we recorded that, there's been two different huge um, events that are being protested hugely in America. And similarly on the Open Mic Eagle, and I need to say as well, don't panic. It's not all political and depressing and angry. There's a lot of lightheartedness. I mean, we talk a hell of a lot about WWE wrestling, so fear not. We talk about wrestling, we talk about comics, we talk about hip-hop. It's a great podcast, but yeah, it was going to be in the new year because I thought it was a nice one with, with loads of interesting and varied subjects to, to kick the new year off. But yes, Sadly, due to the way things are going in the mo- at the moment, I feel I need to get it out there quick um, so that these points can be made and discussed. Um, so, yeah, check that out next week. Please subscribe on iTunes or at the brand new um, distractionpiecespodcast.com w- website. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. I've been Scroobius Pip. Hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Scroobius Pipio or facebook.com slash Scroobius Pip. And I'll see you next Wednesday. Bye.